Dr. R.J. Rushduni, RR161CT177, Truth or Consequences, from the Easy Chair, Excellent Colloquies on Various Subjects. This is R.J. Rushduni, Easy Chair number 287, April the 5th, 1993. This evening, Douglas Murray, Otto Scott, Mark Rushdooney, and I will discuss, first of all, truth or consequences. There are consequences to everything in life. We cannot escape the results of our actions or of anything. But the failure to live in terms of the truth in particular has very serious consequences. However, we live in an age when truth is not highly regarded. The honor system used to prevail in the universities in the era that ended with World War II. Since then, it has rather rapidly disappeared from colleges and universities. The students, and with good reason, are no longer trusted. We see the consequences of that loss of a sense of honor in every area of life and thought today. For us as Christians, Truth is more than fidelity to the facts. It is fidelity supremely to Jesus Christ who is the truth and in terms of whom everything in this world has a moral reference. There is a right and a wrong. There is a falsity and a fidelity, a truth about everything. However, truth has become less and less important in our time. I'll postpone uh, comments on that until later and give uh, the other men an opportunity to make some introductory remarks about the subject of truth or consequences. Douglas? Well, one of the things that we're all faced with today is uh, the government uh, doesn't tell us the truth about anything that's going on. Uh, each branch of the government is involved in programs of disinformation, changing what we think we know about what the government is uh, doing or has done in the past, misinformation, where we're simply lied to, uh, polls that represent uh, a situation to be other than what it really is because they don't include uh, necessary information that shows uh, a real result. Uh, government statistics regarding inflation, uh, health problems, uh, all of these things are, the numbers are massaged to fit a an agenda of the particular administration in power. 
and uh, the people really don't have good hard information to make a decision on. That's the reason that uh, elections, particularly the recent one, uh, as far as I'm concerned, was thrown because uh, uh, with only 42% of the vote, uh, I can't imagine that uh, unless the people were lied to uh, that they would put a man like Clinton in power and then he can turn right around after telling the people that he was going to follow one particular course of action and uh, do something else. The same thing with his predecessor regarding taxes. And it seems like people are getting used to lies. Otto? Well, by coincidence, before we determine this topic, I finished a book analyzing Tacitus, the Roman historian, whom I've enjoyed. And I've read his annals and his histories, of course, years ago. <clears throat> and the book impelled me to go back and look at some of these again. And Ronald Bellor is the name of the most recent writer. And he doesn't, he doesn't quote Tacitus. He analyzes him from various angles. Very interestingly. And in his analysis... Tacitus, you know, was a sort of a modern figure because he went along with the terror and the purges and the corruption of first century Rome under Domitian in particular. And obviously suffered pangs of conscience as a result. Later, he continued to rise officially under Trajan, he became a governor of Asia. So he was an unusual combination of a writer and a successful politician. He was used to power, both from the inside and the outside. And according to Bellor, he finally analyzed, and his, his great uh, masterpiece, of course, is the portrait of Tiberius, and Tiberius was a great tyrant. Tacitus analyzed the loss of political liberty with the rise of lying, the loss of freedom of speech begins the loss of political liberty. How do you lose freedom of speech? And he provides the steps in his description of Tiberius. He's very subtle. He does it very well. That it begins by misrepresenting the truth. So that, for instance, you, they maintained the Senate, but they took away all the authority of the Senate while allowing the Senate to keep all its pomp. And then they told the people, you still have the same government, which, of course, was the great lie. And in order to put across this sort of lie, you have to have a rise of a number of people who want to shut up others. They don't realize that by shutting up other people, they create a situation in which everybody is shut up. 
I mean, the groups, for instance, that do not accept any criticism of any member of their crowd are the enemies of liberty. Not just in a little way, but in a big way. So we come to the meaning of a lie in political life is that a lie accompanies the loss of liberty. And we are experiencing that. We are losing, we have lost, I should say. We have lost our freedom of speech. And what replaces freedom of speech but lies? Mark. So I think one good example of the uh, of a of a lie that's commonly accepted, at least tacitly, is uh, evolution. And it's amazing how many people I, I can't remember statistics, but it's amazing how many people have been raised in the public school system and been told that evolution is is fact, who still say they don't believe it. But you don't really see that in any academic circles, so certainly not in any respectable, you know, uh, books or accepted establishment books or uh, television programs. And so we always have are bombarded with these evolutionary lies. Environmentalism, which is completely based on evolution, uh, doesn't have a good refutation because people won't say this is purely evolutionary. Nature is not perfect. And they can't analyze what nature really is without an understanding that evolution is a lie. So without so many of our, our psychology, our anthropology, everything is based upon one lie of evolution that is spread throughout our, th- our thinking and our culture. And we can't fight against it unless we start back and say, wait a minute, here's here's the falsehood. And uh, that's just one example of where one lie isn't being refuted because people are refusing to fight against the lie because they're afraid of being considered anti-intellectual or ignorant, which is the whole reasoning of uh, Clarence Darrow, his whole line of argument in the Scopes trial, was that Christians are ignoramuses and bigots and they're stupid. Anybody who believes in creation has to be an ignoramus. There have been a few cases in recent years wherein men have lost their college or university teaching position because they suddenly realized that uh, there was no truth to evolution and that they had been teaching a lie. And of course, that's intolerable today, just as uh, the truth is where it concerns Margaret Mead or anyone else who has falsified their supposedly scientific reports. However, this should not surprise us. One of the key figures of the modern age was Friedrich Nietzsche. And I think it is notable that he ended up his life in a mental institution. With his thinking, that's where he belonged. But Nietzsche wrote 
vehemently against the truth. He denied that there was such a thing as truth. And he said what is now by our Christian civilization called a lie is very often more useful socially or politically so that to condemn the lie is to condemn survival, to condemn life. So he was emphatically a champion of the lie. Well, Nietzsche's thinking was aimed at putting life beyond good and evil, beyond truth and error, beyond any kind of religious and moral judgment that would say, this is the way, walk ye in it, or this is wrong, don't do it. Nietzsche was therefore totally at war against every doctrine of truth, in particular the biblical doctrine. And I think the success of Nietzsche is reflected in what we see in the world at large. The first disciples of Nietzsche were the Turks. This is a matter that is very much hushed up now. But the young Turks were enthusiasts for Nietzschean thinking. They felt that all moral consideration had to be abandoned. They therefore planned and executed the Armenian massacres totally without any regard for the truth. In fact, uh, one of their top men, Enver, I believe, went so far as to demand of Ambassador Morgenthau a list of all the Armenians who had life insurance policies and who were li had lived in Turkey and were killed by the Turks because he felt that the Turkish government was entitled to collect on them. At that time, we were not as cowardly as we are today. And uh, Morgenthau indignantly refused Enver, which uh, did not faze Enver because he regarded anyone with a devotion to the truth as a man living in the past. I'm afraid that, that attitude is very common today. If you are for the truth, if you believe in the truth, you are living in the past. Well, they, uh, they attack you from a lot of different angles. They say that you're, you're not progressive. They have a whole series of terms that they apply to you if you want to use the truth. And... Uh, they're epithets, and they remind me of the kinds of epithets that you used to hear on the playground when you were in grade school. But following up something that Otto said, uh, uh, I just wanted to ask you, Otto, if there is any historical precedent for what we have today where we now have government-dictated speech and thought 
I mean, this is like another step. This is the same step. It's not new. Not new at all. It's the same step in every revolution. It begins with the misuse of language. It begins with changing terms so that uh, disguising the purpose of the revolution and the goal of the revolution. In the French Revolution, <clears throat> they began with uh, first eliminating the titles of courtesy, monsieur, madame, and so forth. Then they eliminated the titles of nobility and they substituted uh, comrade or its equivalent. Finally, they eliminated the monarchy and the aristocracy altogether. And you had, accompanying this, changes in the French language, words that became forbidden and words that became mandated. Going back to Nietzsche for a minute, <clears throat> Nietzsche went around with Emerson's essays in his pocket, and he underlined them. Nietzsche got much of his inspiration from Emerson. Emerson, in turn, got much of his inspiration from Hinduism. Now, in Hinduism, Shiva, the god of destruction, is also the god of creativity. There is no difference between good and evil in Hinduism. You can go to nirvana through evil, or you can go through nirvana through virtue. It makes no difference. The Christian uh, Christianity, of course, believes in the triumph of virtue over evil. But this is not true for the Hindus. <clears throat> they are beyond good and evil. And this, of course, was where both Emerson and Nietzsche, who was his intellectual protege, got the whole point of the superman, the man who was above the law. Now, to an extent, the revolutionists, and we might say that Augustus was a revolutionist because he completely destroyed what remained of the republic. There's one observer, one historian, who thought that Julius Caesar was assassinated in the Senate because he refused to rise before when he appeared before them. He sat. And he had them come in while he remained seated. And instead of honoring them by rising, he did not rise. And they fell upon him, which may or may not have been true. At any rate, it began with a break of traditional forms. And the break with traditional forms went into the break with the traditional language. Orwell talked about this. The socialists have changed our language. They call themselves liberals. A liberal is somebody who shuts you up, not somebody who lets you speak. Donna Shalala, as the president of the University of Wisconsin, issued a list, and it is not politically correct terms. It is officially mandated terms. We should not call this politically correct language. We should call it official language. And if you don't use the official language, you're going to be in trouble. So <clears throat> the system of tyranny goes all the way back to the beginning of time. The tyrant does not allow you to speak. He does not allow you to contradict. 
He does not allow you to have an idea or a thought of your own. You can only say what's permitted and what is official. And that's where we are. There was a book I should have picked up when I saw it in Brentano's in New York a few years back. I, I didn't. I went back the next day to get it, and it was already gone. They had removed it. And it appeared, it uh, apparently was about Nazi Germany. And the title was, They Thought They Were Free. Now, we're talking about some very serious and very close issues when we begin to talk about official lies. And you say these are the first steps of dictatorship? These are the steps. When they become accepted, it's been accomplished. One of the things that has changed is the loss of respect for truth on all levels. For example, back in the 20s, when uh, we used to play baseball, uh, any lot would do. The worst charge you could level against any of the kids who were playing was, was, you're a liar. If he claimed he was safe and argued it when he wasn't, and if he persisted in that sort of thing, he was excluded. It was with indignation that the others would say, you're a liar. That's been less and less true over the years. Come to think of it, I don't believe I've heard anyone say that in a long time. No, I haven't either. So we've had a very, very dramatic turnaround. Uh, we don't have the uh, respect for truth showing up in children. And that's a tremendous loss because if they don't have it when they're 5 to 10 or 12, they're not going to get it later on. When they're very young, they're shocked at the idea of a lie. Yes. They really are. <laughs> In our day, it was not unusual for anyone who was a little wobbly in his truth-telling to get his mouth washed out with soap. That was a symbolic way of letting the child know <laughs> you'd better clean up your act. I don't imagine that happens anymore. I think they'd be arrested for child abuse. Imprisonment, no yeah. doubt. Well, I think the most spectacular lies began with Mr. Roosevelt. Yes. The f I think of Social Security. They swore that it would not become an identification. Mm -hmm. And now you cannot have a bank account. You cannot have a driver's license. You cannot have anything without giving your Social Security number. And I saw where... You can't work without it. I saw where an individual in Maryland went to court because he didn't want to give his Social Security number in order to be a registered voter. Mm -hmm. And the court ruled in his favor. Now, in California, you uh, are asked to give your Social Security number if you use a credit card in a restaurant.
And I know that uh, Howard Amundsen refuses to do that. In fact, he danced with rage over the whole question. <laughs> it was mm -hmm. interesting to watch. And the manager came over and wanted to know what was going on. And I said, Mr. Amundsen doesn't want to give his social security number and is going to fire this fellow if he disobeys. And he said, well, forget it. But it is now our, so our identifi identification. Mm -hmm. And this is a, a tremendous lie. Well, they said it was an insurance policy, just like any other insurance. And then they said it was a tax and you did not have it coming to you, no matter what you put into it, if they ruled otherwise. I don't know if it's still true, but uh, when I lived in Virginia until the 70, late 70s, on your driver's license, they didn't rec refer to it as your social security number. They referred to it as your control number. Control number? Mm -hmm. Well, that was more truthful than the other. Because there's no security in social security. No. <laughs> I went into the Social Security office one time, and uh, I've had this card since I was 14 years old, when I got my first wage-paying job, and they wanted to take it away from me because it uses the word insurance on the back of it, and they don't want any oh. of these cards in circulation. They wanted to take it away and give me one of the new ones, which has that word removed from it. It says, for Social Security purposes, not for identification, you used to be able to open a bank account with any name at all, and uh, the comedian W.C. Fields, yes. who had a great talent for ridiculous names like Rudolph Quackenbush and so forth, <laughs> opened up a whole series of bank accounts across the country under all kinds of outlandish names. And when he died, nobody knew where they were. So the banks, of course, eventually digested them all and digested his fortune. Mm -hmm. But now you give your mother's maiden name and your social security number. Well, the tattoos on the arm will be next. Well, they, they, it's pretty close because to be traced through the bank is total control. It's impossible to live without any transaction dealing with a bank. So in a commercial society, that, that will suffice, that will equate with a tattoo, your social security number. And then, of course, there's been a whole series of nobly named legislation, uh, which goes in the same way. It gives a pretty name, uh, affirmative action. Window dressing. That's a wonderful name for injustice and discrimination. Mm -hmm. Well, it's that way true when you when you listen to a political speech, you read between the lines and say, well, he's a liberal Democrat, therefore he means this. When he talks about freedom and justice for all, you know what he's talking about because you know his 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 past. When a Republican, a moderate or liberal Republican talks about um, conservative economics, he means less debt than his Democratic rival, which is one thing that I think a lot of people were very leery of uh, Ross Perot, 
they weren't sure where he was coming from, so they didn't know how to interpret what he was saying and what his motives were and what he intended to do. He's trying to protect because they didn't know how to interpret his <laughs> lies. He's trying to protect his three billion dollars in U.S. Treasury bonds, which yeah. are going to go in the tank if they default on the government debt. Well, you can also lie by not saying anything. Yes. And that's a big lie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's becoming. That's one of the goes right in there with disinformation and misinformation is no information. It's one of the government's uh, favorite instruments for keeping the people in the dark. That's why there was a movement about 10-15 years ago. It actually was successful for a time in a number of states to give creationism uh, equal time in the classroom. They had to give it as a theory, which was a bad, bad way to go because then you're saying it's it's of equal validity with evolution and it should be up to the individual when you should be teaching that evolution is a lie and anything else is dishonest. Right, don't teach them to think for themselves. Well, what we are facing is a gradual obliteration of the importance of truth. And at no level of education in the status sphere is there a great emphasis on truth, on even accuracy, because now increasingly, uh, and I first heard this about 20 years or more ago, it is held that an N- an incorrect answer on a math test is not necessarily incorrect because it's how did you work it? Were you moving in the right direction? Therefore, that made it correct. <coughs> so that veracity is also disappearing with truth. A great many scientific experiments are radically lacking in veracity and we regularly hear of something that has taken place that reveals that uh, an experiment was not valid. So we do have a serious problem not only in the area of truth but generally it shatters veracity. Well if you have false grades in school If the grade is false, how can you expect the students to be truthful? Yes, you can't. Earlier today, as I was thinking about the subject of truth or consequences, I suddenly realized the meaning, the full meaning of something someone had said to me years and years ago. He was going out of his way to uh, try to bait me, and he made it clear that he didn't care uh, where in the Christian scheme of things he went. He was ready to go to hell. After all, a lot of the people he enjoyed most would probably be in hell also, and it would be simply 
uh, a continuation of the pleasures and uh, company that he presently had. And it wasn't until today, and I don't recall all that he had to say then, I realized what his premise was. There is no truth. Therefore, he was ready to accept the possibility in a world of infinite possibilities that there could be life after death. And uh, it would be equally valid whatever name you gave it. Wherever you were, whoever you were with, it would be so many things of equal validity or equal invalidity so that it would be no different than the world that he knew today. Here were people off in a corner with their idea of truth, which didn't mean much as far as he was concerned, and here were people who were reprobates in the eyes of others, but uh, who was to say what was right and what was wrong? The equal validity of everything. And I... I'm afraid that's a more common uh, premise than we fully realize. If the world is without God, if it's open to all possibilities, and all things are equally false and equally true and equally meaningless. Well, it's, it's a brainwashing technique. And it's a means of disorienting people's thinking so that uh, they give up looking for the truth. And uh, then whoever is in power, whoever has control of the media, wherever they get their information from, can tell them anything. And it's just like Pravda, which is what we have for media today. Well, I don't... I agree. I don't think the average person really considers the ramifications of lies. If, for instance, the professor lies about the caliber uh, and the work of a student because a student is either a member of his ethnic group or because he wants to bend over backwards uh, because he's a, a student is a minority or whatever, the result is a certificate given to a person who is not truly qualified. So then you have a mediocre or an inefficient physician, a mediocre or an inefficient lawyer, or whatever. Now, this permeates all the levels of society because the average person, and in this area we're all average, we cannot look behind the certificate to determine its validity. It's an official legal title. The person is a, is a doctor, he's a lawyer, he's whatever. If the examiner is a liar, then the result is a whole series of lies and frauds. Now, the French philosopher so-called Foucault, who just died recently, and as usual, after his death, it suddenly revealed that he was a monstrous pervert. Not only was he a pervert, but his footnotes and his sources were perverted and were wrong. They were not just wrong, they were invented. 
And in many instances, they were distorted when they were not invented. So we have here somebody who was worshipped in all the universities of the United States who is a total and complete liar. Yes. And all those who praised him either didn't know any better, which means that they weren't much themselves, or else they shared in the lie. The uh, New Republic you gave me yesterday was very complimentary to Foucault. Well, look at the New Republic. Yes. A publication that has been wrong since it was first published. It has never been right. It adored Stalin. It went along with every lie of this century. To even associate with the New Republic is to disgrace yourself. Well, Otto, they are not totally wrong. They usually have the right year on the masthead. <laughs> Well, this, what you're talking about really now uh, is from the top to the bottom. Last week, the U.S. Supreme Court refused to hear the case that was brought by the San Francisco Police Officers Association where they have, in effect, unequal testing. Now, here's the Supreme Court that's supposed to be the guardian of the Constitution with uh, equal uh, justice for all, <coughs> and uh, they refused to hear the case where... Um, Minority applicants for um, advancement or entry into the San Francisco Police Department are uh, given an easier test. Any question, any answer to any question is accepted. Uh, there's two different standards. Two different standards. In some instances, the minority going into a university gets an automatic addition. This is something like golf. Uh, I was a member of a country club that had a golf course and somebody asked me why I didn't play golf and I said, well, first of all, I don't have the time and I've never really picked the game up. I'm left-handed and uh, for various sundry reasons, uh, golf doesn't appreciate. But the men that were playing golf all have handicaps and the handicap lifts a mediocre player to the level of a good player, which, of course, is dishonest to begin with. <laughs> and if you believed the handicap that they told you they had, you're stupider than they are because they wouldn't tell the truth. In fact, one of the, uh, one of the problems that I've found in writing up corporations is that the younger the men, the less truth. They want to find out what I want to hear. They want to find out what's the proper thing to say. They do not trust anybody. They've been raised in a false educational system, in a false society, where you cannot say Johnny is dumb. When I was a boy, we'd say that. Johnny is too dumb. He doesn't understand it. And we were fairly kind to Johnny for that reason. But he was left in no doubt about his status. Now, I don't believe that's possible in the United States today. Nobody is stupid. Everyone is disadvantaged or victimized or this or that. This is a whole series of lies that build upon each other. It's a very interesting point you made, Otto, about... The honesty, Johnny is dumb. Yes. I'd forgotten that totally. There, it would be regarded as cruelty today, but uh, 
There was a bluntness about uh, boys as they played. And it reminds me of something I'd forgotten. This one boy who was determined that he wasn't what they said he was. He was clumsy. Mm -hmm. He was incredibly clumsy. Mm -hmm. It was hard for him to get up and go to the blackboard without stumbling over his feet. Mm. But he was intelligent, but clumsy. And uh, it would infuriate Dickie if anybody ever said anything about his clumsiness. So he never got over it, and I was in the same grade with him for about four or five years. He never got over it. He never got over it. He resented it. He couldn't accept it. He could not accept it. And he, he, couldn't, he couldn't overcome it by effort. No, he came he from uh, apparently a very brilliant family. I don't know anything about it, but there was money in the family. And uh, Dickie felt he was entitled to respect. And so he resented any criticism and paid no attention to it. Too bad. Yes. Both my grandparents, my grandfathers, were an interesting contrast. My Irish grandfather was, I guess you'd say, a skilled workman because he made brick on the brickyard. And my Scottish grandfather was an executive with the Royal Dutch Shell. But they were both very much alike in the fact that they were absolutely to the point. Mm -hmm. They were as blunt as a nail. Mm -hmm. And apparently that was something that their generation shared. Mm -hmm. They were both born in 1860. And that generation was very blunt and to the point. It made no bones about it. Yes. And it cut through an awful lot of nonsense. Yes. They would say that a girl was homely but pleasant and decent. Mm -hmm. period or homely but charming mm -hmm. and uh, homely didn't mean ugly in every respect either we, how can we evaluate reality unless we confront it and this is where Mr. Clinton the Arkansas Gazette said he has an almost inhuman ability to change his point in midair. Mm -hmm. Everything he says is double-jointed. And he seems so sweet and persuasive as he talks. Well, my wife keeps talking about his baby face, which she doesn't like. <laughs> <laughs> well, all of the news commentators are... Uh, uh, when asked whether or not he can get his economic plan passed, say that he has to sell it. And, you know, here we have a guy who is, instead of leading, has become like a used car salesman. He has to sell uh, his plan. Well, of course, the specifics of the plan have not been revealed. He said he had a plan, and then he's asked the whole country to tell him what to do. I think personally that we're in very bad condition uh, because of the falsity 
of our life. There is a series of articles that has begun in the Examiner on these adult children who have recalled memories which they say had been blotted out of earlier sexual molestation by their parents. And these memories have been evoked by sessions with psychiatrists. And the psychiatrists tie this into multiple personalities. And in many instances, the uh, parents have been sued, have been punished, and of course, in every, every, every indication, have been deeply injured. There is a major child abuse industry in the United States today, increasingly aimed against Christians, so yes. that it's dangerous for a Christian's child ever to go to a counselor, a psychologist or a psychiatrist, will work very often to produce a story of child abuse. Now, there's no statute of limitations being recognized. There's no evidence required. There's nothing but the testimony of an individual over events which others deny occurred. So what's happening here is that the, the bottom, you might say, the bottom, the basis of fact is beginning to melt away under our feet. Yes. And we have fantasies being accepted as valid. This is Freud's dreams converted into everyday life. It is... Of interest, however, that increasingly skepticism is setting in about these purported cases of child abuse. Yes. Well, we have a problem when we talk about a whole social order that becomes fallacious, that becomes false. Solzhenitsyn said when the Soviet Union was still in its prime that it was the land of the lie. He said, everyone was supposed to be cheerful. If you came to work day after day with a long face and uh, scowling and and, uh, obviously unhappy, you became an object of suspicion. And a lot of this is going on here. You're not supposed to say anything critical of anybody. You're supposed to be cheerful. You're not supposed to be serious. Whistle while you work. Whistle while you work is is well put. I I recall, I think I've told this before because it's always stuck in my craw. When Hitler had just conquered all of Europe, some of my boyhood friends from New Windsor asked me to take them around and show them the sights of New York, and I remember at dinner, I said, what do you suppose will happen in Europe? And uh, they all looked at Eddie Lehi, the leader of the crowd, Eddie said, who do you think will win the World Series, Otto? And there was a laugh. There was a laugh. Well, some of the boys found out, because they didn't come back from Europe, that what happened in Europe meant something. And I never forgot Eddie, because there's an awful lot of him around. Subjects like this never come up. Well, about 
the 90s, I believe, of the last century, Emory Storrs said when hell disappears from church teachings, justice goes out of politics. We can take what Emory Storrs said and uh, apply it here. When truth goes out of the popular mentality, when it no longer is important, then more than justice goes out of the world. It no longer becomes livable. It becomes a nightmare realm. Well, when there's no punishment to public liars, Mm -hmm. I thought Mr. Bush should have been impeached for breaking his promise to the American people. Mm -hmm. And I think that judges who put out ridiculous verdicts ought to be pulled off the bench. There There is machinery in our Constitution, even our state constitutions, to remove bad officials, but it has not been used. Mm -hmm. It is not being used. It never even comes to mind. The idea that a man can campaign on one level and govern on another is accepted. We use the term high crimes and misdemeanors. But, you know, that's the term that kids learn in school, but what does that mean exactly? It means lying to the people. That's what it means. It means breaking your word to the people. The Social Security was a covenant with the people, and the government broke it. It turned it from an insurance program into a welfare program. It added Medicaid, or it added Social Security supplements. And they added 18 amendments to the original Social Security program, which has overloaded it. At the same time that people talk about the fact that youngsters don't expect to receive it when they get to be 65. They don't talk about the fact that 26 million youngsters have been murdered. How can you murder the young and expect to have the demographic uh, social security program? There's no way. And yet the very young people, we blame the women, let's blame the men. How many men drive their girlfriend to the abortion clinic? A great many. Mm -hmm. They don't want to have the kids. They don't want to have to support them. They don't want to have the obligation. They don't want to marry. And if you ask them if they're living a lie, they get very indignant. Well, has the government ever told the truth? You know, they lied to the Indians. Every they broke every treaty that they've ever made. That's true. Uh, When have they ever told the truth? Well, the whole business of the Indians we went into not too long ago, I noticed, I I mentioned the fact there were never any reservations in Latin America. There was no need for reservations at any time. It was our duty to civilize the Indian and bring him into this society, not to put him on reservations. That was, I don't know where that idea came from. Let me add, we did break our word as a routine thing what the Indians did too. Well, the Indians had no word, but we were supposed to have a word. Yes. Teach me uh, an Indians, Indians had a sense of honor which was entirely different. They believed in coups. If they could fool you, that was a coup. But we were supposed to have 
a sense of honor. This is that we're talking about a time now when the average American was quoting the Bible day and night. But not the politicians. No. Unless to fool the people. Rush, what are the the biggest lies that you've heard in your lifetime? Oh, it'd be hard to remember them. That Mr. Roosevelt was a great president. Yes, Roosevelt was a great liar. Incredible what that man got away with, and he set the temper of the country. Clinton passes himself off as another Franklin Delano Roosevelt. I remember when uh, former Treasury Secretary Simon, uh, when they were getting ready to auction off the uh, gold from the U.S. gold supply, and uh, Simon got on television and made the flat statement from the cameras that gold has no monetary value whatsoever. And it went from, I think, $35. They were trying to auction it off at $35 an ounce, and it sailed up to about 120 in about a month or two. And I, I, it would be interesting to find out how much of it Simon and the, and the rest of them bought during that period of time. Simon paid Edith Efron 75000 at the time, I believe, to write a book called A Time for Truth. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how much of Al Gore's book he actually wrote. Mm-hmm. Nobody, I, I wish Quayle would ask them that during the debate whether he wrote it. Because Gore wasn't quite sure what, what he had said in the book. And it turned out Quayle was, was right. Yes, and Gore but denied it. He should have asked him whether he had actually written it or whether he had it ghost-written. Our politicians have become masters of deceit. John Kennedy's book, A Time for Courage. Courage, yes. A Time for Courage was ghost-written. And he got a Pulitzer Prize for it. And when he was faced to the test against Khrushchev, he proved not to have the courage. No, he fell apart and ran to his wife to be consoled. Did he? Yes. He was a pathetic figure. Well, the well, reasoning at the Bay of Pigs that it really wasn't his idea, it was really Eisenhower's idea. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, right now, the Democrats are still blaming the Republicans for everything. We've got a democratic total control of the executive branch. Lotto, what do you think is the biggest lie that's been told that you've heard in your lifetime? That this is a free country. That's the biggest lie I know. I never remember when it was. I remember when it was a lot freer than it is today. But it was also a country of prohibition a country when the Constitution was being steadily destroyed in the name of keeping people sober. We were free conversationally. We could say what we wanted. There was freedom of speech, and there was a lot of goodwill because 
there was a safety valve. People could express themselves without losing their job, although not always to the boss, of course. But now I don't know of any area of free speech that remains in the country outside uh, the pulpit and even there. I read just today in the newspaper, Rush, that a, a church in Virginia, I believe it was Virginia or some state, lost all its property, was confiscated. Church of Christ was the name of it. All its property was confiscated because they had preached against homosexuality and that was yes. called lobbying. And therefore they lost their religious uh, exemption. I have never I have never recalled a period in the United States when things are as as tyrannical as they are today. And I can tell you from experience that other countries have much more freedom of speech than we do. And yet I saw a program on television, one of those man in the street things in which and I think it was Rush Limbaugh's program, his television program, in which he quoted a columnist who asked his readers to write in good things about America. And then he said, we'll try the man on the street. And he went to two or three different people on the street, and they, they said, well, uh, yes, we have, uh, we have freedom of speech. They all said that. And yet you know we don't. Mm -hmm. You know it. How do they perpetuate the myth? Why do people say that? Well, they're expected to say that. It's the proper thing to say. It's official speech. If you don't understand official speech, well, then you must be a redneck or an idiot. Because there are things that you're supposed to say. Yeah, there were some guys this evening being interviewed on the news about uh, their opinion on whether or not women should serve in the military. And... You know, one right after another said, oh, yeah, great idea. Well, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, uh, our time is nearing its end. You mentioned rednecks. I realized just the other day and uh, when someone called it to my attention that back east now, stories that used to be told about women, about blacks, about Jews, about various other groups are now all told about rednecks. Rednecks. They're the one group they can safely dump on, apparently, in Washington, D.C., and uh, New York and elsewhere. So all the old stories now are told about the rednecks. Well, I have news for them. The rednecks will outlast them all. I think so. And they will probably come out ahead because they're good, hard-working, honest people. They're the backbone of this country. And they shall triumph. Well, our time is up. Thank you all for listening. Authorized by the Calcedon Foundation. Archived by the Mount Olive Tape Library. Digitized by Christ Rules. Dot com.